beautiful people and welcome back to another installment of Growing with Sol. I am so excited today because I have a wonderful guest on today's podcast. She is a dear friend of mine and a wonderful colleague and if you have heard me talk about my healing journey especially with depression I have often said that I had two coaches. She was one of them and we're going to get into talking about life and pleasure, and how that is such an important part of life as well. I kind of just give you an overall um, example and definition of the type of work that she does and how it can be beneficial. So let's get into it. Ooh, and before we do get into the whole conversation, I do want to highlight that I am still um, running my Pay What You Can coaching program. So if you're interested in being coached by me, go ahead and check out the link in my bio to either shoot me some questions if you have them or just go ahead and schedule your free consult. Let's get into it. Hi, Jordana. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm so excited to to have this conversation with you. Can you please begin by just introducing yourself to the audience and telling them about who you are and the wonderful work that you do? Oh, I love you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, my name is Jordana, and I am a somatic movement coach, but that doesn't really describe what I do. Um, I work with people um, so they can, and their nervous systems, so they can find safety and containment um, to create more pleasure in their love and in their love life and in their body. Um, more pleasure means more dynamic more self-acceptance, more freedom, right? Um, and the methodology that I use is like, I read where someone is contracted in their body and I see, I can see where the emotional blockage needs to be released and help them to move that energy, that stuck energy. That's what I do. I call it emotional release movement technique. That's you what call I call it. What? I've been calling it emotional release movement technique, but it's too wordy. So that's just, it's what it is, is an emotional release mm-hmm. movement technique. We're looking for a title. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I feel like that's a very apt description, especially having having worked right. with you. That's definitely what I felt. But in going back to like the pleasure aspect, what is it about that that you think is like so central to the emotional release or to the self-acceptance part? It seems like that's the focus. So what's yeah. the, why is that the focus? It's the focus because we're mostly in a low level of nervous system alert all the time. That's what creates our personality. And the only other place in us that is not nervous system is pleasure. It's like the antidote to the nervous system. You can't do both at the same time. You can have negative pleasure in an alert, in a defense, but you can't have ventral while you're in an alert. So ventral is what they call rest and digest in your nervous Mm. system, meaning your most relaxed, chill place. I would also call it the God space. It's what people meditate to create in their bodies. It's what you feel sometimes after a really deep physical practice where you're exhausted into it, where your body finally drops into a non-worried, non-agitated place, that is pleasure. It's the, it's very pleasurable. It's very spacious. People who, you know, believe in God call it the God space. 
So that's why it's so important that that the work we do creates that pleasure because otherwise, why would you keep doing the hard part of the work if you don't recognize the release as a pleasure? I can get into technically why it's a pleasure, but spirit, you know, psychically, that's why it's a pleasure. Yeah, I want to I want to clarify some stuff. I mean, for my own better understanding, but also for, in, in general, because you mentioned um, the like ventral, and that being that often we get there through like depletion, like being exhausted. And my first thought was like jujitsu, like a hard training session at the end of jujitsu. Like normally, I'm always like alert about like what I look like and how I present, even when I don't want to. That's just kind of constantly on my mind, even at jujitsu. But at the end of a hard training session, I'm literally just like on the mat dead. Like, I don't care what I look like. I don't care if my hair is crazy. I'm tired. And it feels spacious kind of like how you mentioned and then also it's not depleted depleted. it's not depleted but keep going yeah so maybe we we can get into that too before like you also mentioned that i thought was interesting was um like being alert and having like negative pleasure like what what is what's an example of that like what does that look like Negative pleasure is getting a charge Mm. from power games or from seduction games. It's an ego game. So it's a, it's a game of if I win, I will let myself off the hook to have pleasure. That's the power game of the psychopathic personality pattern of the uh, aggressive pattern. Um, But even that has so many rules right? The pleasure that I'm talking about that you talked about having after jujitsu is um, love. You feel love, or you can tell me, but it feels like this openness. Everything is seen, everything is held. Negative pleasure is I can only get off if I win. So there's an ultimatum involved, which means there's a power game, which means other people have to do what we want in order to for us to feel something and that's just never going to be god that's never going to be spiritually connected okay wait so this is you're talking about in relation to other people but it remind you can tell me if i'm off base with my analogy but it reminds me so much of something that i do a lot and also something i've seen like clients and other people do where it's um in a in like in a microscopic way it's like oh i will give myself a little treat if i get this done which seems small and yeah like it's not not harmful but i also see that more so where it's just like i'm not allowed to rest until i get everything done but then mm-hmm. there's always something else to do so then people are never actually relaxing and resting and then mm-hmm. you just, that i feel like it also affects our self-worth where we're just like well i'm a piece of shit because like I don't get all my work done and I'm and the bars and the bar is always being raised. Right. Yeah. So that's what I feel like. In that's another pattern, yeah. It's the same idea because it still revolves around something else being a certain way in order for us to deserve and to have mm-hmm. pleasure. And that would never be God because that isn't, that isn't, I don't think anything refers to God like that. Right. Like if you, are, I mean, there there are some things we can misinterpret, but basically my interpretation is 
that love means we all deserve. So that game we play with ourselves of if I just make my bed, do the thing, do the thing, do the thing, then I can watch TV. That's the same thing as uh, the, the winning, losing game. We might play with other people. It's the same energetically. It's just less destructive. Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't have to involve other people for us to play the game, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. And that's the, like we said before, like the, the negative pleasure, because it's, it's based off of if I do this, then I deserve, or then I'm worthy of. And exactly. And we'll never get, it'll never be enough. That's why it's negative. Mm -hmm. There's a constant negating of our worth in that, that we just are worthy no matter what. Yeah, that 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 affects me because I feel like there's a lot of me <laughs> in that, especially yeah. as someone who was like, and I feel I, I feel like this is very um, like it relates to a lot of people that I know and a lot of people that I work with, where we were always uh, like we had to be the straight A student, we had to get for the four point we had to be in AP classes, like we always had to be like a lot of people like the gifted student. And like now as adults, we're all just like, if I send an email, I'm going to have a panic attack. <laughs> like, and we're yeah. all just like burnt out. And I feel like that's, we often feel like unless I get my gold star, I'm not worthy of stuff or that defines my worth. And there's so much unpacking that I've had to do and that like clients of mine have had to do. And that part right there, it's like we do this eventually to ourselves when we don't have to, when we're deserving of love and rest and pleasure and all those things even if we don't check off everything on our list or get the promotion or the raise or whatever it is that's right but it's so not the parental that's how you know you're in a child in yourself mm. because we're giving the parent the ability to say we did good or not our inner parent right mm-hmm. and our inner sergeant um but somehow we're not just good as we are which is the child's interpretation of the parents. Our parents might not have even said that. Um, they don't have to be very literal for us as children and our child, our immature mind to hold on to that belief. I think a lot of it also has to do with school because even if our parents weren't always a certain way, like if you go to school, like, mm-hmm. like it ends up being that way because you have the little stickers as rewards or like, whatever it might have been in your yeah. school system, but there was always some sort of reward for doing a certain thing the correct, quote unquote, correct way or behaving mm-hmm. a certain way. There was always a reward. Yeah. And the reward is like somehow, if you don't do it right, then you don't get love. That is the sort of paradigm. And mm-hmm. I really try to not do that with Una, although I've found myself doing it taking myself away from her if she doesn't behave right. It's like, but now is when she needs me the most is when she's not behaving like in a way that she likes and it's not pleasurable to her. And so I very often will offer myself to her and just be like, do you need anything? Do you want me to come in and stroke you? And sometimes about 50% of the time she says, yes, Mm -hmm. I want you here. You know? So for her acting in a, Maybe like not in like the best ways, maybe her form of just maybe trying to get attention or trying to like soothe something within her and doesn't, she doesn't know how. Doesn't know how to express. 
Oh, okay. The thing that doesn't doesn't have a management like kids don't have any management skills around emotion. So mm-hmm. it's all the same level generally. And even at her age, she's still just learning. Um, she'll be nine in end of July. Um, so when she gets upset, it's all the same. T- it's all the same level of urgency yeah. to her. It's life or death to her still. And so sometimes we just have to be like, and hold the frame on. No, the answer is still no. And she be like, you never give me candy. You never say yes. You know, and then she goes to this whole thing and we just let her. Mm-hmm. We just let her. And because we do this work, both Tom and I, it's not easy though. Because it's not easy the other way too. People just punish their kids and do it another way and repress the kids' emotions. And then, you know, that's their choice. Um. This way she gets to at least know herself. Yeah. Yeah. That, I feel like that's awful. Like not awful, but like often a a difficult thing with, um, with parenting. I don't have any kids. I have a nephew. (laughs) Um, but in seeing like when my sister discusses things with me about how she's dealt with, because my nephew's around the same age. So he's, and I witnessed his outburst and like, you never let me do this. And those kinds of things as well. Um, And just seeing that happen and also witnessing within myself, because there's times where I've had to take care of him and it's just me and him. And, you know, he's, he's a kid, kids do things they're not supposed to, and you have to guide them into like, okay, well, that wasn't the best thing to do. Let's do this. Or like, let me explain why you're not supposed to do that. But then also recognizing that, like, sometimes the child does something and it triggers something in me because I also haven't worked through certain things or I haven't thought about how to respond to this situation. Mm -hmm. Like, one example was, I think my nephew might have been, like, six. And, like, I just, and I was much younger (laughs) back then no experience because I had lived far away for a long time. So I didn't have much communication or like taking care of my nephew at the time. And he Mm -hmm. did something where he raised his voice at me as a child does. Yeah. And like my instinctual was to like yell back at him. I stopped myself and I'm like, why am I going to yell at a six year old? But that was like my instinctual reaction. And it's just one of those things where I like, I just, I can't even imagine having to, raise and guide another like little human being through the world and teach them how to manage their emotions while also learning how to manage my own emotions in a healthier way it's so hard it's so hard like my i think my mentor just said to me about yelling back at her and like how he's like you're power struggling with a child Mm. meaning you're in your own psychopathy you're in defense so you're just she doesn't know what you do so you kind of have to not fight with her as if she's an adult and you guys you're not you're in your own you're your child then too you guys are power struggling there's no power struggle you have the power and that really made me aware every time i start to raise my voice plus she doesn't when i raise my voice she really displays how she feels like i'm gone Mm-hmm. like she's gonna die like I'm gonna cut myself off from her like I would ever do that but that's the child she really shows me 
what the child is going through because there's no filter because we've never taught her to filter. She'll say, um, uh, you know, I'm just going to die. I might as well just die. She doesn't even mean these things. Like these are, it's so wild though, because their mind is really that dark. Mm -hmm. It's limbic. They're like in lizard brain. I'm going to die or I'm going to live one or the other. And if mom is mad at me, I'm going to die. That's all they, they don't even have the capacity to know that tomorrow will come. <laughs> I will never leave her. You know, they don't know. Then like adults go there all the time. Like I go there and then I catch myself and I'm just like, it's going to be okay, buddy. So I don't have to get this dark right now. <laughs> right, right. That's exactly right. But that's because of a ton of brain capacity that kids don't have yet. Not until mm -hmm. I think they're like, I think 18 even, they still are, they're fully forming. But like right around now is when she should start to get some ability to see it's a little bit at a time. Um, yeah, her nervous system the nervous, like the nervous system work I do, I get to really see forming in her. How she deals with pain is how the nervous system comes into play. And so the child's mind doesn't want pain and it doesn't know how to deal with pain. So it blocks against perceived pain first and that becomes a pattern in the physical body that we learn as protective. And that becomes our, our personality kind of evolves around. Can you dig a little bit more deeply into that? Like explain, because mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I find really fascinating about the work that you do, where mm -hmm. it's, we're, we are experiencing these, I don't know if I would, like trauma is the right word, um, but we experience these things as we're growing up and like that's part of how our personalities develop. And like, how does like what what is the the relation between like maybe these experiences that are so formative that it's now our personality or like our pattern? Like, what is that? For a while. <laughs> well, like, okay, if you're, um, let me try to think of something really a really clear pattern that we take into adulthood. Mm -hmm. In my house, um, my my parents one parent in particular was most important. Her feelings were the most important, my mom's. So, and that was my belief and my experience was that if she didn't get care, I wasn't gonna get care. So that meant anything I did was to help her get what she needed. That means that I twisted myself into pretzels, but it worked, so I thought. And so I just adopted that with everyone, any friend I had any boyfriend that I then had as a teenager or young adult and every relationship off of that. Well, that's what works. So that's what I'll keep doing. And even if it doesn't work, Marisol, we don't know any other way. And so it's really hard once it's instilled in the nervous system to do it any different. So it worked okay. And then you get to adulthood and you're like, wow, this really doesn't work for me. How do I change it? And that's when I see people. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So then when you see that mm -hmm. with a client, how do you go about assisting them to change it? Well, one of the easiest ways is relationship. So I do like to talk about relationship because most people, when they're in relationship, they're really sure it's all the other person's fault and that they don't have any work to do. It's like, I'm just with the wrong person. He's really, he or she is just so difficult. 
Uh, and so one way is to really just start looking at how we, especially with the feminine, we lead through emotion. And if your emotions are not, if you're living in the emotional patterns of a child from childhood and those patterns in your nervous system, then you're probably blaming your partner for everything and not taking accountability. And you're just doing childish things and calling them adults. They, they just, they just get very decorated as adult. But when I say to a client, how old are you right now? They're like, oh, I'm like really young, aren't I? Um, so let me see if I can clarify that. Um, one of the ways people suffer the most is in relationship. So that is usually, even though I don't call myself a relationship coach, that ends up being where we start because they're not getting what they need out of the relationship. So I'm really sort of talking them through how they can shift more to the more towards this recalibration to then ask for what they need differently, be in what they need differently, receive what they want differently. All of that happens in the nervous system. And the movement work is kind of where we shift the nervous system because none of this is mental. This is the other thing people really need to understand and forgive themselves and be gentle with themselves. You can't do it by reading a book. I wish you could, you know, I wish you could look at it in a pot, you know, listen to this podcast and, immediately recalibrate your nervous system mm -hmm. but it takes physical work because the body pulls the score because the body has these energetic patterns that it likes even if you don't like them your body likes them and so you have to do it through the body work and then start trying different things with your partner but it starts with the body yeah so with that then when you say body work. And we can use an example I gave you once, but I want to, I'll, I'll rewrite it down. I don't know. I want, I want to hear it. Well, what was the example the one at the you store, gave me? The one at the store. There was a guy that was coming into the store and you were like, he just not looking at me or I, I don't know why he's not. It's like, I can tell he's kind of interested, but I said, so I said, why don't you challenge your nervous system and keep eye contact? Oh, I do remember this. And this was, this was a guy at the gym. Oh, it was a gym. Okay. Yeah, that I go and I let's go workout, like a regular, regular gym, not jujitsu. And like I tried, and he would actively avoid looking at me. It was and it was oh it would even be like one of those like He probably was unavailable. Probably. But like, you know when you like you feel someone looking at you, or like you don't you just turn around and then you see the other person this turn was... around like really quickly because they were looking at you. There was a lot of those. And then eventually I was just like, okay, he clearly doesn't want to communicate with me in any way. So I just Avoid dropped me. it, you know? But this was no, this was a guy coming in for sandwiches. Hmm. This was a different guy. Oh, okay. He was coming in and you, I said, you have to hold his gaze. I'm pretty sure it was something with sandwiches. I just see sandwiches. I see food. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember okay. it, you were just like, you were so excited to do it, but you were also nervous to do it. That's the kind very of nerve wracking for me, even though like it's, it's one of those things that it's simple, but it's not easy for me. Right. Right. I say that <laughs> a lot. It's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, it's not, eye contact is so big. There's a lot of, so let me just speak to this really simply. There's a lot of trauma we hold in the ocular band of tension at the eyes. 
And so I won't know, it's too complicated to get into, but the work I do relates to how the body holds tension and what we have bands of tension throughout the body. One of them is in the eyes, it's called ocular, the ocular band or ocular armor. And so through the eyes and through gazing and through eye exercises, EMDR is one of the ways into trauma work, right? That's the ocular band of tension. I just don't happen to feel like EMDR gets all of the trauma because the body holds it differently in different people. But it does get the kind that is from early childhood trauma or input trauma, something that you saw that was absolutely terrifying to you, which could be birth trauma. It could be NICU experience. How you came in to open your eyes and see the world was traumatizing to you. Mm -hmm. And so it's held in the eye patterns. Um, then there's a lot of trauma that has nothing to do with that that comes a little later. So the EMDR might not really help that person. Right. Um, but then when you are talking about getting attention, being connected in sexual romantic way, eyes are really important. And someone who can't hold your gaze, um, it's a nervous system issue. Okay. One of the things I want to get back to, which is, which is I'm sure related yes, to this, perfect, perfect. is the, um, what we were talking about in the beginning, being the uh, allowing ourselves to feel pleasure and to relax and how that kind of relates to self-worth and all those other things as well. Um, in your work, what have you seen that people kind of like, do they build walls around that? Or is it just a, like we were talking about before, if I do this, then I'm allowed to experience or or have or, whatever, or something else? It has to do with the obsessional pattern, the rigid pattern, mm -hmm. but generally. Um, that is the age where it's called the genital phase. It's also where we develop this inner sergeant who decides if we deserve or not and it does have to do with parenting but and you know the more you have a rigid pattern the more you can trace that that person had a certain kind of parenting but we all have the genital phase because we're human so we all have a little rigid we all have a little of that sergeant it's just how turned up is it so that's the first piece mm. if it's your primary pattern perfectionism then that means there's a very strong repression of genital pleasure, connection to anything messy, the way that sex can be out of, out. It, sex has a, a, an out of control kind of um, pleasure. If you're in control, how sexy is it? N not really, right? Yeah. So there's a repression, there's a physical patterning to that that coordinates with that experience in a person with that primary pattern. And that is armor at the navel blocking sexual energy from moving up. The person usually looks really perfect. A lot of times they'll have surgery to look more perfect. So there's like a very large breasts, very balanced body, strong jaw. Usually the mouth is turned down or there's a, you know, like a very big smile, but it's kind of put on a very pained face. You can see that it's not, joyous celebrational it's rigid performance it's mask and that's on top of this cutoff at the navel so this is a very physicalized i'm trying to describe the physicalization of this pattern 
and the sexual pleasure becomes, it could look like no pleasure. It could look like an inability to orgasm. It could look like I can't orgasm with other people. All of those things would go under rigid obsessional. Um, I've had clients who've never had orgasms with anyone. Some of them have never had orgasms alone. Um, that's where it ends up going is I'm not going to feel that from such a young age that them tapping into it feels impossible. This is my best, my greatest honors to work with people to, to release that. So many questions. I don't yes. know where to go. <laughs> um, well, you were, you'd asked me about, right? You did ask me about pleasure, right? Right. Because okay. I feel like kind of like how we talked about before we hopped on here was that these are also conversations that I've been having internally, like with myself, because I, I have a lot of anxiety and I always, I don't always recognize that I'm in an anxious state. So then it's, so for me, I need to remind myself that like, it's calm down. It's okay to relax right now. And it's okay for me to take time off. It's okay for me to just do something because I just fucking want to right now, you know, like it's going to be fine. Right. You know, I, I put in plenty of work. <laughs> it's going to be fine. Right. And also with clients of mine, which just like you can, like you're, the stress levels are so high sometimes and maybe other people out there can relate where you're just also doing emotional labor for others because as friends, as family members, you know, we we're there as support for each other as well when people are going through a tough time. But when you put that on top of stress that you already have from work or your own life, and then you just don't relax, and then you're not enjoying life, you're not experiencing pleasure in your day-to-day life, like that can negatively impact our mood, our mental state, like so much. So that's why I feel like with in talking about pleasure, why it's so important, because think that I, I don't know I feel like maybe just like in the zeitgeist people are always focused on negative which is understandable <laughs> so understandable but at the same time like but do you know why you might know this though hmm. you might know the reason we focus on negative is because that is to save your own life it's like a it's a natural instinct for the brain and the chemistry and the nervous system to do that to keep you in charge to keep you okay to keep you alive. It's the will to live. So it's, it's, it's a norm. The negative just means, Oh, just in case, just in case, just in case, just in case, you know, I'm going to be at alert just in case. Right. Is to save your life. So of course we, we gravitate to that as conscious beings, but it's a part of our brain. We are not able to control or manage because I believe, and I think the data shows this because it comes in, so young and it could be also part generational there's an ancestral aspect to it that is generational trauma because that is on a cellular level now we know from epigenetics that comes in as well and i believe that's because that's it's uh called your emotional body your soul body Mm -hmm. comes in with that you know they can say it's cellular i call it emotional body soul body imprint ancestral trauma it's both science and spiritual right 
you might come in with anxiety. You might come in with a propensity to be nervous. Mm -hmm. um, but anxiety is also, by the way, it, all of those go in the rigid pattern. Chronic. Okay. So let's, let's talk about that really quickly. If you can explain, cause I don't sure. think we defined it and I, I get what you're saying, but like the, the personality patterns, yeah. you can like, like list them. Sure. Just so that we're all know, like when you say that's the rigid pattern, like, okay, like what else is there? Like, let's just, let's just <laughs> yeah. define we're those. Just terms. Talking about, we're talking about Marisol's primary pattern would be perfectionism or rigid pattern. There's five patterns. Mm -hmm. They were established and discovered by a doctor named Wilhelm Reich in the early part of the century. And he is the original somatic um, therapist. He discovered that body, the body held patterns that were caused by wounding, perceived wounding though, not always abuse, in um, that the body held these patterns and that that became patterns in the brain as well because the brain is just relating to how the body is interpreting information, which I think they call neuroception these days. But all of that has come since him. All of the nervous system science has come since Reich. But Reich discovered these patterns of energy in the body and he named them based on psychiatry. So he was a, th a psychiatrist, a therapist, a doctor. So they're also based on the phases that Freud named the childhood phases of development. So they're called schizoid or leaving pattern. Schizoid um, means split. Orality is the second pattern that is called uh, named that because it's the oral phase. We sometimes refer to it as the merging pattern. That's the lover. The third pattern that comes in is enduring or masochist. Masochist is the pathologizing term for it, the psychiatric term. Masochism, uh, meaning you take it on. You're the masochist, martyr, the martyr, the endurer. It's the enduring pattern. I can also take one of mine. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're like masochist with a rigid overlay. And then the next one is psychopathic or aggressive pattern which is the leader, the achiever, the performer, but it's very much the controller, the dominator. So anyone that's been president, anyone that's leading, anyone that's the center stage is the psychopathic aggressive pattern. That's their primary. But then uh, very often there's a rigid overlay because it comes right after. The patterns kind of come layered over each other, but they are based on um, phases of development. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed something. With masochism and endurer, that's the anal phase. And with rigid, which is the last pattern, perfectionism, that pattern of energy is the genital phase of development in the child. So because those two things are happening at once, it affects the adult's sexuality. Perfectionism is the... So if you hear anything or read anything, that perfectionism is the... Is it kills your sex drive or anything like you know yeah of course it does right because that's the genital phase that's what we're repressing in order to be perfect we're repressing our natural organic messy whatever way to be perfect so we can get what we need anyway so those are the patterns okay um before Tell we go because i know yes. we're almost we're almost at time yeah. um if someone is curious about like working with you, like what what does a session with you look like? Because you, you do somatic work, you do the energy, mm -hmm. the emotional release. Like what what does that look like? Just so people can get a, a deeper understanding of what that is. Well, 
Yeah, perfect. That's a perfect question. Somebody would come to me if they know that they're stuck, but they don't know why. Mm. So depending on what they're stuck with, we would talk, we would start by talking. And then based on what that brings up, we might go to a part of the body and try to move energy. I don't necessarily work with people on movement specifically, although if they're doing the first time container with me, my movement class, my emotional release movement class that I hold twice a week is offered to them and they can do it just to keep moving energy generally in the body. But in terms of a one-on-one session, we really go for what the person is stuck with. And I immediately can read and map the body where, where the energy is stuck based on their patterning, but also based on what I'm seeing. Occasionally, someone's body reads different than the actual pattern. So I'm always just going from what's present in the body. Um, not everyone looks their primary pattern. For example, I don't look particularly any pattern. Like you might not be able to guess with me. With you, you have some of the physical qualities and definitely rigid perfectionistic sort of, <laughs> like there's a balance to you that's yeah. perfect. No, it's really oh. like beautiful. And we over here like, thank you. <laughs> right. And you might take like, You know what? Vitamin, but... I love when things are symmetrical. Yes. I yes, love in everything. Everything. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, girl. <laughs> and I think I do too. I think I do too. I think I have, I have more rigidity than I ever knew. I really didn't think I was rigid because I thought I wasn't perfect. You know, so I thought I'm such a flawed person. How could I ever be perfectionistic? But anyway, we all are. Um, so that's the, the one-on-one session would go like, where are you facing pain that you don't want to face? And we really just jump into it. That I can speak from experience. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But like, usually people don't, I don't appeal to people if they're not really stuck and ready to like, move it. Do you know what I mean? Like anyone who's like, I'm great, isn't going to find me or my work attractive. (laughs) Okay. You know, yeah. And I feel like I've experienced that with in a different way where you people are like, I want change, but I don't want to change. And (laughs) but I think your anxiety, I think the reason we first started to work together was because you were anxious and it was stopping you from your work. There was that. And I was also what incredibly else? depressed. You like, were depressed. Okay. I was deeply, deeply depressed when you and I started working together. Okay. Because yeah. I remember you, I, I just remember Amy even suggesting like, why don't you go to Geronimo? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm over. That's, that's why. Because yeah. I remember on a call, I was just like, I'm here. I want to do this work. And like, I've helped people already, but I personally I'm not happy and I'm depressed and I just I just said it and I was like and like I have a coach and I meet with him once a month but also like I'm just stuck in this dark dark internal world and then what do you think changed what changed that has stayed with you because something changed that has stayed with you I just am not I would love you to hear what you think it is what changed? I feel like it's it, it was a like an amalgamation of things. It wasn't just one thing that mm-hmm. changed because with the other coach that I had, it was all talk. You know, like we were just talking about things. Again, like you mentioned before, like reading. Um, yeah. like a good little student that I am, I read. 
Um, And for me, I did find it helpful to gain a deeper understanding about certain things, which allowed me to get a deeper understanding of how I was operating at the time in like a previous relationship that I was in that contributed to my depression. Um, So that, that, that did help me. But did it like, quote unquote, cure me? No, I think like all of it kind of together um, helped me overcome the depression. And the other part of it was doing this work as a my profession, getting to know all of you through Kaboom and mm-hmm. seeing the amazing work you're doing and what's possible for me as well. And then in working with you, it brought me back to my body. Because I naturally, I'm a very heady person. Like, as much as I do not like uh, aspects of, like, academia and, like, academic culture, I am very academic in how I approach things. (laughs) Yeah, very cerebral in how I approach things. But as we've talked about just in this podcast, like, our body holds emotions. It holds the trauma. So as much as I talked through it. I needed to feel it and release it. And also, you know what really helped? What? Because I learned to not allow myself to feel anger. And it's something I still work on. Um, Working with you allowed me to feel my anger, express my anger in a healthy way, and just remind me that it's okay to be angry because I for a long time shut down my anger. I was like, well, I'm not allowed to feel that way or being anger is being angry is pointless. Whereas working with you connected me to my emotions and pivotally connected me to my anger. Like that was, that was, I have to say, yes, Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And that's because one of your primary patterns is masochism, which is basically the freeze state which is a repressed anger of sorts. It's repressing anger is the energetic state of that nervous system state. You're holding at the throat and you're holding at the rectum. It's the anal phase. So when you hold anger and you repress anger, that feeling, the body just stops. So of course you have no energy. Of course you're depressed. Like it literally stops you, but yet your eyes are kind of going. You're like the nervous system state of freezes. I have a hundred emails to answer and I can't answer one. Your body is in freeze to hope to conserve energy, but you actually don't need to, right? So when you start to move the en- move the anger, energy can actually move through the core of you and you can feel yourself again. And mm-hmm. it is such a permission slip to always after that point. And once you've had the experience, you can, it kind of stays with you like, oh, it's okay to be angry. It's okay for me to let that energy move. I don't have to like... No, I just <laughs> wish that I had that like cube <laughs> in my home. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what I'm talking, Jordana has this amazing like soft cube in, yeah. in her studio <laughs> that like when you're angry, you can hit with a tennis racket. <laughs> so good. And so you good. you guide us through the process and like it's yeah. much more like therapeutic than just hitting something. But yeah. I love that thing. <laughs> yeah, you can come over anytime. You know that. Oh, thank you. Um, before oh. we go, can you just um let people know how to connect with you and how, how to find you? Sure. Um, for the most part, I'm on Instagram, Instagram and TikTok at Jordana Che underscore. So it's J O R D A N A C H E. My full name, Jordana Che underscore. And I'm in both of those places just talking about the 
energy patterns, these defense patterns, the nervous system, how to create more freedom in the body through these, you know, through these exercises, this physical work, and, you know, how to create more pleasure and relationship, more, more dynamic love, love making energy in your life, <laughs> but in all the ways, right? It affects everything. So that's yeah. what I ended up most. All right, yeah. Wonderful. Um, did you want to say anything that we didn't get to before we go or, or do you feel complete? I feel complete, especially because we got to talk about the patterns. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else about that, the personality patterns. Um, I also teach courses in the work that I do because it's underneath the umbrella of a methodology called core energetics. Um, and the movement modality I developed comes from a bunch of different things because I've been a dancer and choreographer my whole life. And so I'm developing this movement practice, this movement method technique, um, but it's under the umbrella of core energetics and the personality pattern. So if you're interested in any of that and learning more about that, also follow me because I do talk about my courses as well. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you for being here. I always love speaking with you and me we too. should do this again because I feel like there's just so much that we can dig into and talk about. So. You know what we should do? We should do like when you have something or a client you want to talk about, even if it's hypothetical or something that you're working on, if you're not, um, if you're not, you know, if you're comfortable, then we can just like get into what's going on for you. Ooh, okay. That's really neat. that's always really neat. Or yeah. if you have a friend, something you want to sort of look at for someone in your, in your life. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to think about that. See if, what ideas come, come to mind. Yeah. Um, Perfect. All right. Well, thank you, Jordana. Thank you, babe. Great to see you, Marisol. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you found value in today's episode, please subscribe to the channel so that you are able to get all the latest episodes. Also, leave a review if you have been enjoying it. It definitely helps when you do. And of course, share it out with your loved ones. Post it on social media. You can tag me. You can tag Jordana. I am at your coach, Mari. And naturally, like I said before, I am accepting clients. So if you are interested, feel free to schedule a free discovery call with me. And I'll see you in the next one. <laughs>